5. Today we're going to continue our study on the Sermon on the Mount by examining what our Lord has to say regarding what's called the Law of Retaliation, or else also known as Lex Talionis. Matthew chapter 5. Now today's a unique day because I have my mentor here to my left, to your right, uh, so i got to watch what I say while he's here. Uh, <laughs> no, I appreciate him coming up here and uh, learning from him and his ministry. has been a blessing to me and my family, so I appreciate you being here, Pastor Charles. Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to read verses 38 through 42. The word of the Lord says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much again, Father, we can gather and worship, Lord. Pray, God, that you would speak to your people through your word, God. Use this vessel, Lord, to speak that which you have spoken. Uh, Encourage, edify, exhort, equip, convict as needed. And may you be honored and glorified, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, here we are right in the middle of the month of June, where millions, possibly billions around the globe, celebrates the rejection of God's truth. Defiance to Christ as the king over all the earth, where the globe celebrates sins so grotesque that God destroyed nations over, and the banner of this celebration is called pride. Some of the slogans that you might see around this month include, celebrate your pride, born this way and proud, be proud no matter what others say. How about this one? Pride is for everyone no exceptions. Pride isn't just a month, it's a way of life. We all have something to be proud of. Or be yourself, be proud to be different. Or you've probably seen this one, show your pride. Stand tall, live proud. Love is love, you see that? Love is pride. Be proud of who you are. Pride keeps us safe. And as recent as last night, our president, Joe Biden, tweeted a picture of the pride flag holstered up in front of the White House and tweeted, quote, today the people's house, your house, sends a clear message to the country and to the world. America is a nation of pride. Putting aside the sexual immorality and the sins, sexual immoral sins that are celebrated during the month, putting all that aside... God calls pride an abomination. It's one of the seven sins that God hates, according to Proverbs chapter 6. God says he hates pride and arrogance, Proverbs 8.13. With pride comes dishonor, Proverbs 11.2. Pride comes before destruction, Proverbs 16.18. And see, friends, pride can manifest in various ways. So before you look out there and condemn all the people who are proud and and prideful out there, we need to first take the log out of our own eyes. And again, putting aside the abomination of the sexual sins, that's not what the message is about today. So putting all that aside, God not only hates prideful hearts celebrated in June, in Pride Month, 
But he also hates the same pride in those who profess Christ, yet look upon others with haughty eyes or with a prideful spirit. The Jews in the days of Jesus had this same pride, but it was manifested in different ways. And we're going to see today how Jesus once again strikes at the heart of the matter, and this time in regards to our very own pride. So as we dive into the text, we're going to see that this is the fifth illustration that Jesus gives to show how he did not come to abolish the law, but to establish. This is the fifth out of six illustration Jesus gives to rebuke not the the law itself or to correct the law. Jesus wasn't a, a moral innovator, but he came to rebuke the oral traditions of the Jews that would twist God's law. The Jewish rabbis and the teachers of Jesus' day often perverted the external demands of the law while ignoring the internal demands altogether. He came to restore the original intent of the law, and this is the fifth illustration he gives of six to do so. And these six illustrations are not to be taken in a vacuum, but they're to give us overarching principles of how we are to live according to God's law which he says, by the way, is perfect, Psalm 19.7, James 1.25. So if we look at our text, look how Jesus begins the verse in verse 38. He says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the evil person. Stop right there. This verse is often and has been throughout the ages very misunderstood Misinterpreted. So first I want to show you what Jesus is not saying in the text. The first thing we need to understand is Jesus is not abrogating the Old Testament standards for law and order. Jesus is not abrogating or ending or changing the Old Testament standards for law and order. Now there are variations of this view we've seen throughout the ages. On the very extreme you have uh, the Anabaptists uh, and the Quakers of Uh, the 17th and 18th century, uh, that thought that this text and Jesus did completely, did away with the civil magistrate. And this has been throughout the ages propagated by others. Uh, There was a a Russian uh, author, you may recognize the name Tolstoy. Uh, He advocated for this. He thought Jesus was doing away with all police, all uh, military, all judges, all civil courts. The civil magistrate's done away with completely. So there's a more common argument that Jesus did away with the harsh Old Testament standards found in the civil laws, uh, that Jesus did away with those or or changed those for today. Jesus announced in verse 38, he said, or verse 39, but I say to you. So it's clear that Jesus is correcting something, but is he correcting the very law that came from God himself? It's up to us to understand and to dig into the text and be good Bereans to determine what it was that Jesus was correcting here. So this terminology, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, the Jews knew exactly what Jesus was saying here, and Jesus was not correcting or abrogating the Old Testament standards for law and order. But to do that, we want to go back and look at where this was written in the Old Testament. Eye for eye and tooth for tooth, is used three times in the Old Testament, Exodus 21, Leviticus 24, and Deuteronomy 19. 
Uh, Each time it's used in a different context, but always in regard uh, to the civil magistrate. It's always in regard to civil jurisprudence or law and order, uh, due process, uh, criminal proceedings, and the penal sanctions that God gave to his people. Each time it's used for that purpose. Exodus 21, if you read, it's verse 22 to 25, the eye for eye, tooth for tooth is given in regards to if injury is done to preborn babies. I'm going to read this to you. Exodus 21, 22 says, If men struggle with each other and strike a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet there's no injury, he shall surely be fined as the woman's husband may demand of him, and he shall pay as the judges decide. But if there is any further injury, then you shall appoint as a penalty, what's he say? Life for life. Eye for eye. Tooth for tooth. Hand for hand. Foot for foot. Burn for burn. Wound for wound. Bruise for bruise. So God gives this penal sanction for when a woman that had a child in her, in her womb uh, was injured... It would be life for life. On a side note, God is establishing the personhood of babies inside the womb. And, you know, we have a just law, praise God, that if somebody kills a woman that has a baby inside her womb, then they're charged with double homicide. Go figure, because it's a person made in the image of God. Now, if that woman were to willfully kill her baby, then she can do it under the guise of law, which is a, an abomination and an affront to God's word. But that's not part of the text. That's for another day. Uh, now, in Leviticus 24, the same terminology is used for the punishment of acts of violence towards another person, another born person. Leviticus 24, verse 19 through 20, says, If a man injures his neighbor, just as he has done, so it shall be done to him, fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, just as he has injured a man, so it shall be inflicted on him. So God used this eye for eye, this penal sanction, for when somebody commits an act of violence upon another person, if that act of violence caused that person to lose an eye, then the punishment for that person, will they would lose an eye. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, life for life. This was God's fair and equitable punishments that he inflicted, that he uh, imposed upon uh, his people. And then in Deuteronomy 19, the, uh, the terminology eye for eye, tooth for tooth, is used for a punishment of false witnesses. 19, Deuteronomy 19, verse, 20, verse 15, says, A single witness shall not rise up against a man on account of any iniquity or any sin which he has committed. On the evidence of two or three witnesses, a matter shall be confirmed. If a malicious witness rises up against a man to accuse him of wrongdoing, then both the men who have the dispute shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who will be in office in those days. The judges shall investigate thoroughly. And if the witness is a false witness and he has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him just as he intended to do to his brother. You shall purge the evil from among you. The rest will hear and be afraid and will never again do such an evil thing among you. Thus you shall not show pity, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. So God gives this penal sanction 
For when a false witness comes and, and slanders of somebody to get them punished, and they find, out, they find out that he's a false witness, then whatever punishment that person was going to receive that's being convicted would be inflicted upon that false witness. Many today would say, oh, wow, that's so harsh. That's, so, that's such a bad law. I would be careful before you start to indict God because this is his law. This is the penal sanctions he gave to his people. And let me tell you, why did he give? It says so that the rest will hear and be afraid and never again do such an evil thing among you. Can you imagine if this law was implemented in the courts of law right now? Do you know how often people lie in court today to get somebody punished? It happens all the time. The oath under God is not taken seriously. They lie in court, someone gets punished. Imagine for a moment that we had such a just law that God gives in his perfect law, where a false witness, if they're found out to be false, and you could prove that through due process, uh, as God says here, and the person that's being convicted is being convicted of, say, murder, someone falsely witnesses, they get the punishment that that person was going to get. How often do you think people would be so brazen to lie in court under oath? God's law is good, my friends. We should never shrink back or be embarrassed from God's law that he gave. And we need to be careful before we indict God himself as having such harsh laws. Okay? Uh, a recent event happened where uh, there was a law passed in Uganda uh, that criminalized homosexuality. Uh, and it, of course, made the news. And uh, a senator uh, who was a professing Christian in Texas, Senator uh, Ted Cruz, tweeted that this law is an abomination. Not only that, he said any law, he said any law that would criminalize two consenting adults is an abomination. Think about what he just said. Any law. Well, God made a law like that, didn't he? Now, we can talk about what implication that is for today, but for God's covenant of people, he made a law against homosexuality, which, by the way, up until about... 50 or 100 years ago, we had laws on our books against homosexuality. We had laws on our books against adultery. Uh, and so Pastor Tom Askell uh, of Founders Ministries called him out and said, hey, you might want to take that up with God because he implemented a law just like that for his people, and you're calling what God made an abomination. So we've got to be careful when we see these, the laws that God gave to his covenanted people. We have to be careful before we say, oh, those are so harsh. Uh, if you read Deuteronomy 4, read Deuteronomy 4 when you go home. It's not my notes. But Deuteronomy 4, God says, I'm giving you these laws and statutes so that when the nations around you see you and the nation, and they see, it says, what righteous laws and statutes they have, they will say, basically, I'm paraphrasing, they will say, wow, what a righteous and just nation who has such a righteous God with such righteous and just laws. So before we go attacking God's harshness of the Old Testament laws, we've got to be careful, uh, have the discussions, yes, amen, but God implemented those laws. You know, another law is for like rape. You know, the rape had the death penalty. God gave the death penalty for rape. Is that harsh? Or do you think if that was implemented here in our country, how much rape would go down? God's law is good. That was extra. That wasn't even in my notes. But all three of these examples show how God establishes equity in his penal sanctions for crimes. The punishment 
fit the crime. It's not life or tooth. Okay, you know, there are laws in some Middle Eastern countries that if you get caught stealing, they chop your hand off. That's a harsh law. No, but God's law for stealing is that you've got to pay back plus you've got to pay back even more. Which, by the way, there, there's no going to jail. Is that you actually have to pay back what you stole plus some. Uh, so God here uh, establishes a standard of equity. The, the punishment fits the crime. All three of these were, were to be prescribed, by the way. All three of these examples, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, life for life, all three of these examples were to be carried out by the God-ordained civil magistrate, not ordinary citizens. You see, there's always been a separation of powers, even in the Old Testament. There's a misunderstanding that uh, the church was the state in the Old Testament, but no, God actually separated the church and the priestly duties And he established the civil magistrate with Moses and judges. He appointed judges very early on. And when they were about to enter the promised land, he told them to go and appoint judges in every town. And that's Deuteronomy 16. You can find that in verses 18 through 20, where God says, Appoint for yourself judges and officers in all the towns. And these are the ones who are to to see matters of criminal uh, cases and He says, you shall not distort justice, you shall not be partial, not take a bribe, you shall establish justice. So God established and ordained the civil magistrate to be a a separate function to bear the sword and establish justice and not to ordinary citizens. The penal sanctions for crimes, inclusive of eye for eye, tooth for tooth, were to be judged, sentenced, and executed by the God-ordained civil magistrate. And that's never changed. In the New Testament, the civil magistrate is called God's deacon, God's servant, to be, quote, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil, Romans thirteen four. So Jesus here in our text, he's pointing back to the penal sanctions for crimes committed to be carried out not by ordinary citizens, but by the God-instituted, ordained, and appointed civil magistrate. So Jesus says, you heard eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But I say, don't resist an evil person. So is Jesus abrogating the Old Testament civil laws and penal sanctions? Is he abrogating the civil magistrate government? Hey, don't resist evil people. You heard eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But, you know, he abrogated the Old Testament standards for law and order. He abrogated all that. Well, there are many problems with that view. The first problem is actually in the text. If you look at the examples following, the commands that Jesus gives immediately following verse 38 are directed to individual civilians, not governing authorities. In other words, the civil laws and penal sanctions were placed in the hands of the governing authorities, and Jesus doesn't even address them, but gives scenarios where you as an individual have been wronged and how you as an individual ought to respond. If this is regarding this uh, governing authorities, if Jesus is actually abrogating the governing authorities, civil law, jurisprudence, judges, crimes, then folks, we're left with complete anarchy. 
And this was the position of the Anabaptists, as I, as I mentioned earlier, and others like Tolstoy in the early 1900s. The second problem with holding the view that Jesus is abrogating the Old Testament standards for law and order is that the New Testament clearly upholds the God-ordained authority of the civil magistrate, listen, who are to rule according to their own pragmatic ways? No, they were to rule according to God's law. Think about in Luke chapter 3, when soldiers came to John the Baptist, questioning him, hey, what shall we do to show fruits of repentance? John the Baptist didn't say, well, Jesus is coming to do away with authority, so y'all just need to quit. Stop being soldiers. No, he didn't. He told them, he gave them instructions. He didn't tell them to leave their vocation uh, as a soldier. He told them to go and, and don't exhort money from folks, right? Don't take money by force. Be content with their wages. He didn't tell them to leave the military. Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2 clearly uphold that the civil magistrate is under God and to be governed by his law. The civil magistrate is sent by God, according to 1 Peter 2. It says, for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. Civil magistrate is to bear the sword of justice and to be an avenger who brings wrath upon the one who practices evil, Romans 13, 4. But folks, that begs the question of what constitutes evil. What constitutes those who are evildoers? Well, it's assumed in the text that there is a standard, and it's God's law. What God says is right and wrong is right and wrong. So no, Jesus was not abrogating the Old Testament's standards for law and order, but they're upheld in the New Testament. Uh, the second, more often that we see today, is that uh, Jesus was not advocating for passivism. Jesus was not advocating for passivism. Passivism is, is apathy, non-resistance. Jesus was not prohibiting resistance to tyranny or defending yourself, oneself, against acts of violence. Some have taken this text to mean that we as Christians should not defend ourselves against acts of violence. If someone tries to harm us physically, rob our home, or even if the government wants to harm us, take our stuff, take our guns, take away our ability to worship God, we ought to just turn the other cheek, right? That's what Jesus says. Do not resist the evil person, right? Well, again, this, this uh, position is left wanting when you look at the totality of Scripture. Christians not only have a right to defend themselves, they have a duty to defend themselves. Christians not only have a right to resist tyranny, but they have a duty, and there are biblical strategies for doing so. Christians have the duty to defend their own life and the life of those around us. Christians have the duty to protect their own family by whatever means they see necessary. Exodus chapter 22, verse 2, grants us this right to self-defense. For it says, when someone breaks into your home, you kill them? God's law says you're innocent. This is not passivism. This is not, hey, you know what? I'm just going to turn the other cheek. Come in, rob me, harm me, do whatever you want. I'm going to do the Christian thing and, and allow. No. No, we have a right and a duty to, to preserve our life 
and to preserve the life of those around us. Furthermore, we have examples that contradict passivism in the New Testament, including Jesus himself. One of those examples is in Acts chapter 16. You recall Paul and Silas had been beaten without a trial, okay, which was illegal. They were thrown in prison uh, while in Philippi. And when they were let go the next day, the message from the leaders was, you can go in peace. Okay? So what did Paul do? Okay, sure. Y'all beat us without a trial. We'll go. That, that way nobody can see what's going on. We'll just go real quietly. No. Paul said, no, I'm not leaving. He actually disobeyed the governing authorities. He wanted to make a public spectacle out of it. Paul resisted their commands and told them, nope, you're going to come and bring us out publicly. Why did he do this? Well, he didn't do it out of a spirit of revenge. He didn't do it uh, to retaliate. He didn't do it out of, out of a vengeful spirit. Paul did it for love for neighbor. He knew that if he went secretly, then it would only add and grow to the tyranny of that governing authority so that they would do it again to someone else. So Paul, out of his love for neighbor, said, no, we're going to make this thing a public spectacle. You beat us without a trial. You threw us in jail without a trial. We are citizens, and you broke the law, and we're going to let everybody know. We also see Jesus resisting authority in John 18, when he was unjustly struck by one of the officers. Uh, If you go back and look at John 18, he was struck in the face. What did Jesus do? Did he say, okay, let me turn the other cheek Go ahead, hit me again. No, he actually called them out for being unjust. Jesus answered after being struck. He says, hey, if I've spoken evil, if I've spoken wrongly, testify of the wrong, but if rightly, why dost thou strikest me? Why are you striking me unjustly? No, he didn't turn the other's cheek in a, uh, pass, uh, in a passive way. He called them out for being unjust. So Jesus wasn't calling for passivism. Uh, Jesus wasn't abrogating the Old Testament standards of law and order. So what was Jesus instructing here? When he says, you heard it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. Whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him also. Well, because the sense of justice is, is in, it's in us, we all have a sense of justice. But unfortunately, it's tainted by sin. Therefore, we must submit to Christ and avoid personal retaliation. And that's what Jesus is condemning here. Jesus is condemning personal retaliation and a spirit of retaliation. Brothers and sisters, there's no room in the Christian walk for personal vengeance, for returning evil for evil. And that's what Jesus is condemning here. The Jews, you see, at that time, not only did they permit personal retaliation, but many Jewish teachers actually commanded personal retaliation. So when they heard eye for eye, tooth for tooth, they said, oh yeah, absolutely, yeah. So if someone slaps me, I'm going to slap them right back. That is what they taught, the Old Testament taught. So again, they perverted the external demands of the Old Testament and completely ignored the internal demands all together. This was always the standard from the Old Testament law that the civil magistrate has the jurisdiction to apply 
and venge those who do evil acts upon another. This was always the Old Testament standard. So again, Jesus is not a moral innovator. He's not creating a new law, but he's upholding and he is establishing and reaffirming the Old Testament law because the Old Testament condemned personal retaliation and they missed that. Again, they took Old Testament standards, they twisted them, they created their own system of morality, they twisted God's law to their own liking so that they could carry out personal vengeance and vendettas against another. We're a culture that loves personal retaliation, aren't we? Uh, We think of it as something that's uh, macho and and brave and courageous is when we personally get back at somebody for committing uh, an evil against us. But Jesus... He's flipping the switch here. That's not your job. That's not your job. It's the civil magistrate's job. And if the civil magistrate misses it, you know, ultimately vengeance is whose? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. He will repay. But the Old Testament always condemned personal retaliation. And the Jews missed this. Leviticus nineteen seventeen says, You shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart. You may surely reprove your neighbor but shall not incur sin because of him. Listen to verse 18. You shall not take vengeance. They missed that. You shall, you shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Proverbs twenty four twenty eight. Do not be a witness against your neighbor without cause and do not deceive your lips. Verse 29. Do not say, thus I shall do to him as he's done to me. I will render to the man according to his work. See, God right here, Old Testament standards, do not have a spirit of retaliation. Do not repay evil for evil insult. Do not say, he says, I'm going to do to him as he's done to me. I'm going to render to that man according to his work. Proverbs twenty twenty two. Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord, and he will save you. Or could also be translated, he will rescue you. He will avenge you. Do not repay evil. So the Jews totally missed this, and they twisted the external and ignored the internal altogether. And this idea is fleshed out in the rest of the New Testament. In Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 14, It says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Verse 17, never, never, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Then verse 19, never take out your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. And then he quotes the Old Testament where vengeance is mine, and if your enemy's hungry, uh, it's getting into the next sermon on the, on the last illustration where God corrects their uh, adulterating uh, use of love your neighbor, hate your enemy. We're going to get to that. But here he says, don't pay back evil for evil. Don't take out your own revenge. 1 Thessalonians 5, 15, same thing. See that no one repays another another with evil for evil. But instead, it says, always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Again, 
1 Peter 3, 9, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. Jesus is rebuking having personal retaliation. And then he does, he gives these four examples uh, to show that he's rebuking this personal retaliation. The first is turning the other cheek, giving your coat when you're sued for your shirt, going the extra mile, giving and lending to those who ask. Now, what folks have done, unfortunately, to even those examples is that they made those a law in into themselves. And, and all that does is going back into legalism. You can't take these things uh, as literal commands. God, Jesus is using them to give us this overarching principle, not to retaliate when we're sinned against, but to give a blessing instead. If we take these as literal commands, again, we're back to legalism. I mean, for example, one of the illustrations he gives is he says, give to those who asks of you. Well, Jesus gives no qualification. Does that mean every time somebody asks of you of something, you have to give it to them? Because somebody who takes that literal, again, is going back into legalism. Yes, I don't care if somebody asks me. So what if a drug, someone on drugs comes to you? Okay, I'm sure this has happened with the homeless population here. That you know that they're strung out on drugs and they're asking for $20. Well, you know, Jesus said, they're asking, so I'm going to give it to them. No, that's not helpful. That's foolish. Uh, So we can't take these things as uh, blanket commands. We have to take these in context as Jesus is giving us these overarching principles uh, on not only not seeking our own vengeance by turning the other cheek, but more importantly, having a spirit of humility, denying ourselves our rights, our position, our dignity, our pride, our importance, our selfishness, and our material wants. In other words, to summarize these four examples that Jesus gives, is we must be dead to ourselves. We must be dead to ourselves. Now, we live in a a country for now where we have a lot of... uh, protected rights and so Americans love to have their own right and that can go in a bad direction when we're sinned against oh he's not he can't do that to me I I have I have rights and so then the personal vendetta comes and the personal retaliation comes Jesus what he's saying here is we have to be dead to ourselves. We have to be giving as Christians to be able to give up our dignity, to be able to give up our rights, to be able to give up even our own possessions. It says when he's, we're asked to borrow uh, in the parallel text in Luke, he says, lend and not expecting anything in return. We've got to be able to, uh, not in a communist way where we're giving away our rights to the government. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Uh, but in our personal relationships, we've got to be willing to give away what we think is ours for the sake of of our brothers. And what is the root of having a vengeful spirit? What is the root of personal retaliation? Well, it's a heart full of pride. That is the root of this whole passage. So again, brothers and sisters, Jesus here strikes again at the heart, this time at our very pride. To summarize what Jesus is saying here, he is saying that his followers are to be clothed in humility. To be clothed in humility. If you struggle 
with seeking your own retaliation on others, then you struggle with the sin of pride. You're considering yourself as more important than you ought. And think about Christ. Think about Christ being in the very form of God, considered it not a thing to be grasped, but what did he do in Philippians 2? He emptied himself, becoming obedient even to the point of death. He emptied himself, and it says he became a slave. He set aside his own rights. And preceding that verse in Philippians 2, it says, have this same attitude that is in Christ Jesus. Philippians 2, I believe that's verse 5. Retaliation, having a vengeful spirit, is not only in terms of physical harm. We see that in kids, right? Parents, we see that very early on. We have a two-year-old, three-year-old, hopefully not much older than that. But they get hit by a sibling. Immediately, again, we have a sense of justice. That two-year-old has a sense of justice, like, oh, you're going to hit me, I'm going to hit you back, right? And you see that uh, very early on. But for us adults, hopefully, (laughs) we're beyond that. And so it may not be a physical retaliation, okay? But what about the husband who takes offense at his wife for something she's done or hasn't done and withholds his love from her? Or makes uncharitable remarks to her to pay her back for her insult. That's a spirit of retaliation. Which again, the root, friends, is pride. Pride is pride. Manifested in different ways. We see it manifested out there with the abominations of sexual sins. But if it's manifested in your own life with personal retaliation, God hates that same pride, brothers and sisters. Or what about the wife that turns cold to her husband because... He says something that offends her. She thinks, well, if he wants to act like that, I'm just not going to talk to him. Or I'm going to be short with him. That's the same spirit of retaliation. And the root of that is pride. That's repaying evil for evil, insult for insult, as Jesus condemns. What about you, dear child? What about you when your sibling takes something without asking? What's your response? Is it to be unkind to that person? How do you respond? Do you take something from them, children? Do you not talk to them? Do you not play with them because that sibling or that child, that friend, did something wrong to you? Do you repay with an act of unkindness? He took my toy. I'm going I'm to take his stuff. Friends, this can only be done by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is not a work that we can do in our flesh. It is countercultural. It is the antithesis of what we see in our culture, isn't it? It can only be done by the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, I kind of want to expand upon this idea a bit. Turn to Romans chapter 2, Romans chapter 2, because I want to show you uh, with a text uh, uh, just how grievous this is. Even, Even the little acts of retaliation that you might have upon someone who sins against you. As you're turning there, I want to make a clarification as well. Uh, I'm not saying that when we're sinned against, if if it's a crime committed against us, uh, there is room, there's a lot of room, for the civil magistrate to establish justice. Okay, and that's actually loving as well. Uh, So right now, there's Christians being persecuted in our country and in other countries, and where there is an ability, okay, to have justice serve, 
We are not to turn the other cheek. Okay, it's kind of like Paul with calling uh, the civil magistrate out in Philippi. Okay, we're not, if we're, we have a crime committed against us, it's not loving to not get the authorities involved so that they can establish justice. That's not what Jesus is saying here. We're talking about personal retaliation is what we're saying. It actually is very loving. If you are, have a crime committed against you, it's very loving for justice to be served to that person because A, that person won't harm anybody else because they'll be sitting in jail or have some consequence. Or God would use that to bring that person to Christ. So don't hear what I'm not saying. That's not what Jesus is saying in the realm uh, of law and order. We're talking about personal retaliation. So look at Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. It says, Therefore you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment. For in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God is rightly falls upon those who practice such things. But do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? In other words, you who judge another, another person's actions and commit the same yourself, you invite God's judgment upon yourself. So you who return evil for evil or carry out personal vengeance and retaliation, when you do that, what you're saying, uh, you're saying that what they are doing is wrong and I'm going to retaliate. You've just judged yourself. And if you're a believer, you invite God's chastening upon you. And if you're an unbeliever, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of judgment, as he says later in verse 5. So vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Uh, friends, justice will be served. Every evil done since all time will have its day in the courtroom of God. We can, be, we can rest assured that God will have all vengeance upon all evil of all time. This is why he says, vengeance is mine. And this is the beauty of the gospel. In Christ, justice for sin was served. If your brother sins against you, yes, go to them. Try to win them over to repentance. But know this that the sin that they sinned against you, if they're a believer, was atoned for on the cross of Christ. You who are, uh, you are to deal with your own retaliation towards them. Or, I'm sorry, who are you to deal with your own retaliation uh, towards them when Christ paid for their sins upon the cross? And if you're an unbeliever, know this, that they may be, those that, I'm sorry, if they are an unbeliever who sinned against you, they might be God's sheep, and they might have yet come to Christ. And how you react may be what God uses to lead them to Christ by not showing personal retaliation and vengeance towards them. But this can only be done by the power of the Holy Spirit. It can only be done by believers. Well, there's another overarching theme I want to briefly address in this text, and that's rejecting God's law. And this is what the Jews did. They rejected God's law, and they made and created their own system of morality by twisting God's law to suit their own desires. Remember in our text in Matthew 5, 
back in verse 17 and 19, Jesus upholds the law and gives these illustrations to show his audience how he did not come to do away with the law, but to uphold it and to establish it and to show it in its fullest intent and purpose. So again, Jesus is using this illustration to rebuke the Pharisees for adulterating his law. You know, Jesus is saying, stop adulterating my law. The law of the Lord is perfect. I gave you a righteous standard and objective standard of truth. Stop adding to it. Stop creating your own system of morality. I did not come to abrogate. I did not come to add to. I did not come to end or destroy the law, but I came to establish the law. The Jews were taking the standards and commands given to God-ordained civil magistrates and making it a part of their daily life. I actually see the opposite in today's culture, which is just as bad. Many Christians in today, they conflate the civil magistrate and the individual Christian walk. Many Christians take the position that the commands of the individual Christian should be applied to the civil magistrate. What I mean is that the civil magistrate should be long-suffering. The government and, you know, crimes, they should be merciful. Uh, We should be merciful to criminals. The civil magistrate should be more like Jesus. I've heard this come out words of the people who make laws in our state and country, that the civil magistrate should be merciful. They should be like Jesus. And the problem with that, friends, is that that is actually not loving to a society. When a civil magistrate and the government stales, uh, fails to establish justice, you're actually hating your neighbor. If you do a little digging into our judicial system, you'll just see how unloving and how far away from God's word we've become. Here in our own area, just a couple of years ago, this one judge was being merciful. He actually has been tried. Uh, there's been some good people who've tried to get rid of him because he's loving. He's merciful to criminals, meaning he lets them go. He lets them out. They keep committing crimes. He keeps letting them out. And there's this one story of this abusive husband uh, that kept abusing, and he got arrested finally. Okay, He was abusing his, hus- uh, his wife and their seven-year-old son. Uh, and he was in jail. I mean, aggravated. It wasn't like, I mean, it was like, it was bad. Okay, uh, And the attorney came and tried to plead again, tried to throw mercy upon him. He let him out on bond again after he had violated the terms of his first uh, bond they gave him terms you can't go a certain amount of distance from your wife's house so they let him go within an hour he was at the house okay so fast forward now he's been in jail another month the judge wants to be merciful be like jesus okay be more so he lets the criminal go again and this time there wasn't a happy ending because because what that judge did Just a couple weeks later, that criminal murdered his wife and seven-year-old son. That is not justice. That is not loving. And so we see the opposite. We see now we have to be merciful. We have to take care of these criminals. There's this other program now that they're implementing, paid for by our money, to help criminals that are repeat criminals that are involved in drugs. They're going to help them. They're not going to send them to jail. Now we're going to help them. Okay, it's not loving, it's not just. Whatever God says is wrong, the civil magistrate's job, we read it earlier, it said show no pity. Civil magistrate, that's not their job. Your job as a Christian 
is to be forgiving, to not retaliate, to not show vengeance. So in conclusion, we, note, we look to none other than our Lord himself, who was falsely accused, beaten, stricken, mocked, slapped, spit on, betrayed, abandoned, and then crucified on a cross. Did he have a spirit of retaliation? No. Luke 23, 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. This is the same spirit that his followers need to have. Forgive them, Lord. Forgive them, Lord. And not take out our own vengeance. Now, if you see this as an impossible task, well, you're right. It is impossible. And only one person did it right all the time, and that was Jesus Christ. That's the whole point of the law of God, friends. That's the whole point. When we truly understand the depths of God's perfect and holy law, the only thing we can do is cast ourselves upon the mercy of Christ. As a believer, the only thing that we can do is cast ourselves. I'm wide open, God. I can't do this. And flee to Christ. As an unbeliever, the law of God is to be the tutor to save us to, so that we would flee to Christ. That is the whole point of the law of God. To realize just how far away we are from the perfect righteousness and holiness of Christ. So that we would fall upon him for salvation and as believers that we would fall upon him for our sanctification. So if you're in Christ and you struggle with a spirit of retaliation, repent. Flee to Christ. Confess to God, God, I've had this spirit of retaliation. It might be right in your own mind. Nobody else knows about it. But in your mind, you retaliate when somebody does something wrong to you. God sees. God knows. You can't hide it from him. Confess it to him. Lay yourself open bare to him. Flee to Christ. Seek him in repentance and faith. He'll cleanse you. He'll wash you. And then he'll give you the the tools by the power of his word, the Holy Spirit, to please him in that area of life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord, that you, Father, have been so merciful to us. God, you truly are the only one worthy to take out vengeance and wrath because, God, you are our creator and we have willfully rebelled against you. But, Father, we pray that you would be merciful to us, God, as you have been. Lord, forgive us, God, for having a spirit of vengeance towards others. God, forgive me, Lord, for having a a spirit and a mind of, of retaliation towards others when I feel like I'm done wrong and my rights are violated, God. But, Lord, help us to understand, Lord, the distinction that you gave for Uh, justice to be carried out by the civil magistrate. And when it fails, Lord, help us to rely upon you that you will have vengeance, God. You will repay. And Father, we don't need to, God, but that we, Lord, in a biblical and God-honoring way can seek the good to those who seek our own harm. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. In Jesus' name.